But I want to talk to you this morning about Luke chapter 24. Before we do that, I want to tell you a story of something that happened. It was April the 8th, 2007. It was a 39-year-old man, and he goes into a subway station at Washington, D.C. He stands beside a garbage can. He's got on a, a sweatshirt and a Washington Nationals baseball cap. And then he picks up a violin, and he begins to play. He doesn't just play anything. For 43 minutes, he played six classical pieces. The first one he played was a, a classical piece by Bach, which is considered the most difficult by, for a violinist. And what he's playing on wasn't just any violin. It's a 1713 Stradivarius. So famous, so priceless, it's been stolen twice. <laughs> and the guy that's playing was not just anybody. He's considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, violinist of our time. His name is Joshua Bell. So the experiment was, if we can hear during rush hour, the greatest violinist playing on the greatest violin and playing the greatest pieces, would people actually stop and look and watch and be in awe? Well, after the first three minutes, I think there were 67 people who went by. No one paid any attention. One person slowed down a little bit just to watch, but they didn't stop. It wasn't until six minutes in, one person kind of stood up against the wall and just listened for a little while. There were over a thousand people, a little over a thousand people, who walked past him in those 43 minutes as he's playing. And some people threw in, I think 27 different people threw in some money as they were passing by. He made a whopping $52.17. 20 of the $52 came from someone who actually recognized him. <laughs> Joshua Bell, he makes $1,000 a minute in his concerts. But that's not what people were expecting to see in a place like that. We've just read one of the greatest incognito stories of all time, right? Two disciples, they're walking home after Passover and all the things that have taken place that week. They're on this dirt road going back to their small village seven miles away. And suddenly this man, he kind of, kind of catches up to them in their walk, as I imagine other people were walking this road. And he comes up to him and says, basically, what are you talking about? And, and these guys, it literally stops them in their tracks, and they look at him and basically say, what planet are you from? <laughs> we're talking about what everybody's talking about. But they don't realize that it's Jesus. Now, this is much more than a Joshua Bell moment in a subway. This is the Son of God who has been crucified and risen that very day. But why would anyone expect that Jesus is going to show up on a dirt road outside of Jerusalem and talk to a couple of really unknown disciples? One of them's named Cleophas. The other one, we don't even know what his name is. You know, the Bible has all of these wonderful uh, supporting characters. And I'm, and I'm really glad to see those, right? Because sometimes, you know, I read about Peter and I read about Paul and John and, and some others, and I think, you know, I can't compete with that. You know, you see, you go to other places, other countries, other cathedrals and so forth, they'll have statues of these kinds of folks. But I can relate to two disciples that are relatively unknown on a dirt road 
who are disappointed and discouraged. I can relate to that. I'm so thankful that, that Jesus doesn't just come to, to those who are theologians or who are famous preachers that may be out there or, or to, you know, some, um, some palace somewhere that he, he comes and his presence is with all who call on his name. The Spirit of Christ is present even with those who doubt. And that might be you this morning. And yet you may not even realize that Jesus has been there with you. He's been walking beside you. His presence is there. But you're just discouraged. These two disciples, they were kept from recognizing him. And we don't really know exactly why. Some people think, uh, you know, they didn't see him because they were just so discouraged. Some of them think it's because, you know, they were just preoccupied. Others believe that it's because God did not allow it. But it is amazing sometimes why we look out in our world and we think, this, why is this person able to see Jesus and this person isn't? If you go to the University of Oxford in England, there's a professor there by the name of Alistair McGrath. He holds three doctorates in molecular biophysics, theology, and intellectual history. And he sees Jesus. He's actually one of the great defenders of the faith. But in that same school, there's another professor. You've probably heard of him more than the other. His name's Richard Dawkins. And he is famous for someone who does not see Jesus. How do two people, very smart, same universities, and they just see differently. I want to share some things with you this morning, and I think it's especially important for those of you who may, you know what, you're just, you're struggling right now. Maybe at one time you believed, but, but life has happened, and, and you're beginning to doubt. Maybe you've just got a lot of questions. And so this text tells us some things about people who are disappointed and frustrated, and I think it's got something here for all of us. And the first thing that I would say to you is this. You can tell Jesus how life has disappointed you. Did you know that? It's okay. I love that. Jesus comes up to him. His first question is, what things? What things? What, what, what is it that you're so discouraged about? As if he didn't know. Jesus could have been angry. He could have been annoyed. Could have been patronizing if he had wanted to. I mean, think about what all Jesus had just gone through. You know, the, the denials, the betrayals, the humiliation, the flogging, the crucifixion itself. But he allows them to tell him what they think. And it's really interesting when you start to read it, and they tell Jesus his name. <laughs> they tell him where he's from. They tell him what they what they thought he would do. They talk about the strange events of this empty tomb they had heard about, and Jesus just listens with patience. The risen Son of God is letting these ignorant, disappointed disciples on a dirt road tell him how they felt. I love the song, and many of you know it. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. 
There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. They said to him, but we had hoped. I love that word. We hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Folks, they were an occupied country. But they were descendants of King David. Their people are supposed to be ruling in Jerusalem, and the nations are supposed to be coming to them, but that is not what is happening. You ever had your hopes crushed? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, you thought you met Mr. Right. And he turns out he's not even half right. Okay? Or, or maybe, you know, you, you, just, you, you just put all your hope into getting into this university. You put all your hope into this degree, this hope into getting this promotion, and then you get it, but you know what? You still feel empty for some reason. Everything short of Jesus will eventually be disappointing. When you give everything the place that belongs to God, you're going to have a lifetime of disappointment. But that doesn't mean that Christians don't get discouraged, does it? Hey, the longer we are living in our world right now, it just seems like it's easier for Christians to get more and more discouraged. Things that have just continued to be pushed upon us and, and things are said about us. And you may be a person that you're discouraged right now, but when the applause and the, the joy of God diminishes, what we really need is a Savior. And what I learn in this text is that Jesus comes down and He walks with us and He listens to us. And He's the one who heals our brokenness. He is the one who broke the chains of death and He came out with the keys. Another thing I notice is this. Jesus can open your eyes to who he is, not who you think he is. Oh, that's a, that's a really important point. You notice what Jesus says to these two men there in verse 26. He says, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah was going to have to suffer before he goes into glory? You know, I'm often amazed what people, what people think about Jesus in the great theological sphere of social media. And, and their, their ideas of who Jesus is. You know, some see him as this liberal Jesus who sponsors every secular agenda that's out there. Then there are those who think he's the conservative Jesus who endorses the status quo. And for others, he is the Jesus who gives health and wealth. If you are a follower of his, it's just amazing how many versions of Jesus that there are out in our world. The two on the road, they just believe what others had believed, that he is a military Messiah who's going to give the, G the Jews political freedom. That he's going to have 
a throne without, without suffering, a crown without a cross, power without pain, a government without humiliation. And that's why Jesus says, if you look at verse 25, He says, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe what the prophets have taught you in Scriptures. And don't you think that kind of hit them a little bit differently? I mean, wouldn't you have been like, who, who do you think you are? You're just some stranger that walked up on my conversation. Jesus is trying to help them to see that the, throne, the cross is the way to the throne. And for some reason, they just never saw the things like the prophets would write about a suffering servant who was to come and to die. Jesus was trying to help them to see. You ever looked at the optical illusion of this chalice before? And then someone all of a sudden says, don't you see the two faces looking at each other? It's like, oh, yeah, now I see it. It's kind of like that, isn't it? We, we see something and we think that's, that's the dominant thing, but, but then all of a sudden, you know, what Jesus is trying to do is to help them to see Him, to see His picture, rather than our own chalices. You look at verse 27, He says, "...and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself." And this stranger... He takes them on this journey through the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And He is showing them all of these things here was all about Him. It's telling us about who He is. He gives them what we call a hermeneutic. I'm sure you all know what a hermeneutic is, right? I had to, it was a required class when I was in college. Uh, and, and so I thought, I better look this word up before I go to this class because I don't know what in the world this class is about. Hermeneutic is basically your interpretation. It's interpretation of Scripture, even literary texts. It's, it's how you see and interpret things. And Jesus is, is and, and believe it or not, we all have our own hermeneutic of how we see things based on what we believe. And Jesus is trying to give them a hermeneutic, a new hermeneutic, to see out of Jesus' his, his own eyes. It was kind of like these 3D movies, you know? If you go and you sit in the 3D movie and you're just looking at it without the glasses, everything's just kind of blurry. You can kind of tell what's going on, right? But, but then you put the glasses on and everything comes clear and things just kind of pop off. That's what happens when we put on Jesus' glasses and we go back into the Hebrew text. Because it's all about Jesus, folks. That's one of the many reasons we don't get rid of it. Jesus does this with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He, he tells them about this story back in, uh, with, in the wilderness with Israel. And, and they are wondering, you know, and everything. And they're starting to complain about the manna. Don't like the manna. And believe me when I say they are being nasty about it. So, so, so God just sends some snakes, poisonous snakes, into the camp. I know. <laughs> it's terrible. People start getting bit. Some people start dying. Believe it or not, it stopped the complaining. And they also repented 
And so God tells Moses, said, listen, I want you to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and, and rise it up. And he says, tell everyone who, anyone who gets bitten by one of these serpents to look to it, and they will be healed. And that's when Jesus gives Nicodemus a pair of these Jesus glasses. And he says, that's the Son of Man, the one who will be lifted up to save us from the poison of the world. Here's another thing I want to notice, one more thing, and that is when Jesus is that close, you need to ask him to stay. As they approach the village, Jesus keeps walking. Did you notice that? It was being read a moment ago. Jesus is acting like, I'm just going on up the road. And I love what the text says in verse 29. It says that these two men urged him strongly. I love that. Urged him strongly to stay with them. And he does. He stays and he eats. But I'm here to tell you, if they had not have asked him to stay, he would not have stayed. They have to make the next step. He's walked with them. He's listened to them. He's instructed them. But they have to invite him in. And it may be that Christ is, is drawing near to someone who's here today. It, it may be that your hearts burn within you like these men. Their hearts were burning as Jesus spoke. It may be that, that right now you've got this maybe just a slight bit of hope that you didn't have when you first came in. Maybe you feel God's presence. But I'm here to tell you, you've got to invite Him in. Peyton and I both are two, and we've got other in this church. Just, we just want to sit down with you, and we just want to show you Jesus. You want to know more about Him? You want to know what it means to invite Him in and what that means to live for Him and to have this new hermeneutic of your own life. You want to know what that's about. You've got to invite Him in. If these two men didn't want Him, I'm here to tell you there were going to be 3,000 at Pentecost that did. If those 3,000 didn't want Him, then there was a village in Samaria that wanted Him. If they didn't want him, there is a, an Ethiopian eunuch on another road somewhere that wants Jesus. If the old world didn't want him, the new world wanted him. If the U.S. no longer wants Jesus, there are millions in Africa and South America and Asia right now who want him. And if you don't want Jesus in your house, I'm here to tell you, there's someone who does. And those people are going to be blessed and they're going to have joy because they're going to realize that when Jesus is a part of their lives, he can save their marriage. He can make changes in their lives like they have never seen before. He can bring eternal life to everybody in that house. There's an old Christian hymn. I was going to sing it, but it's so old. <laughs> I'm not even going to sing it, but it says, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. 
Those of you who are going to be waiting on the table, you can go on to the back. We're getting ready for communion here in a second. Because they invited Jesus in, what we're going to see is their sadness turned to joy. And they run back to Jerusalem, and they're going to tell other people who are discouraged about the risen Christ. But before they get to that point, we've got to see when their eyes were opened. So we go back to our text here in Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 30. It says, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to, he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. But here, listen to the language once again. You can see it up here on the board. In verse 30, it says, When there was a table, he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. That should sound very familiar to us if you read Luke up to that point. Because two chapters before, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And what does he say? It says that he took, that he gave thanks, he broke, and he gave it to them. It's the exact same language. Jesus also said over there, he says, I am not going to eat this with you again until the kingdom comes. Folks, the kingdom came. Jesus now is eating with them and he's able to open their eyes. Folks, we need an encounter with the word in human form. It was great for them to get to know who Jesus is and, and, and everything else in Scripture. That was important, but that was not sufficient. They needed an encounter with Jesus. We commune with Him in the mill of the kingdom. We break the bread of life and we partake of, of the cup of forgiveness. The meal brings us about the nourishment of the new, the eternal life. And when we partake of the bread and the cup of Christ, we join him at the table in the kingdom. We eat with him. We gather to him. We gather to one another and we draw close. It's at this moment and this breaking of bread that we're about to partake of that Jesus comes and he's with us. He joins us here. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we just give you so much grace, uh, uh, thankfulness. Father, we, we are so insignificant compared to you and to your son, Jesus. Father, I'm so thankful that we have this moment as your people to come together and to remember the sacrifice of your son to remember that he, his body was given to us. It's a perfect body. 
and how he was crucified and he bled and he died. But Father, I'm also very grateful that we eat on this side of the resurrection. I'm so thankful, Father, because this is a meal of celebration, not a meal of sorrow. For we are saved and we join the resurrected Christ this day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.